Well, good morning. You guys look great this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, I want to tell you we're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 8, but it is going to take me several minutes uh, to get there, so you can just hang out there for a bit. Um, if you're new to our church, I just kind of want to let you know what we do around here, um, and you'll, you'll hear me say this quite often. Uh, we love to go through books of the Bible. Um, it kind of forces us to kind of talk about things that the Bible wants us to talk about. Uh, and so we go through series, and sometimes it's going to go through a book of the Bible, like we just got out of uh, the letter to the Philippians. And other times we're just going to go through topics uh, and see what the Bible has to say about something. And that's what we're going to do for the next probably eight weeks, is we want Jesus to speak for himself and for him to tell us who he is and not give you Matthew Thrower's opinion, but give you the word of God's opinion. So we believe that the Bible uh, is our authority and our only authority in which we stand on. And so I want to hear what Jesus has to say. And there are going to be some things that are challenging as we go through this. But what we're going to do over these next few weeks is go through the I am statements that Jesus makes. And they are going to be so freeing for us. Um, and I am excited because John is actually my favorite book of the Bible. And so... Um, let me just kind of uh, narratively go through the story of Scripture. So uh, if, you're in, if you were in college, this would be called the story of Scripture 101. And so I just want to give you just as much as I can um, without sounding like a complete nerd, um, just the story of Scripture if I can. And it'll kind of allow us to see the framework of Jesus's claim. If you think through uh, the Old Testament, uh, think back in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, before Exodus 3 even happens, there's some uh, pretty crazy things happening. You remember the story of Abraham in Genesis, Father Abraham, and he really did have many sons. And Isaac, he had Isaac. You remember Isaac? Um, so God gives Abraham a promise. And the promise is, is that through you, Abe, I'm going to reconcile everything back together. And I'm going to do that through your seed, through your line. And so what happens? Um, he's old. And the Bible says that his wife is as good as dead. So she's really old, right? Um, so uh, husbands, never describe your wife as good as dead, okay? Just things won't really go well in your marriage. And I ain't got time to counsel through that. Um, so... They have a kid. His name is Isaac, finally. Um, Isaac, he has a kid. And so they, they start having all these children. And so we end up with um, our boy, uh, Joseph, who is in the palace. And he really kind of climbs the ladder. Really interesting story. I ain't got time to go through it. So Joseph really is the guy who leads people to Egypt. Okay, now I don't know when things get a little south, but along the way, um, they did like we do in Utah. They had a lot of kids, right? Man, these Utah folks have so many kids. I'm like, how do you have your sanity? You know, I think three is like, I'm on the verge of going to this area in which I probably will not return. But man, there's so many. So that's what happens, okay? So they have a lot of kids. And so they have this guy who is over them, and it's Pharaoh. Now, if Pharaoh sees a growing number, different ethnicity of people, Pharaoh begins to get a little threatened. Isn't that what happens with tyrants? If you're a tyrant, and, and which I don't think any of you are, um, if you are a tyrant, 
and an ethnic group in your uh, area in which you govern begins to grow, you're going to start feeling a little threatened. And so what does he do with the people of Israel? He enslaves them. So for 400 years, the children of Israel find themselves in captivity under the tyranny of Pharaoh. Now insert Exodus chapter three, God comes before Moses in the most insane psychedelic way that you can appear to a person. On face value, it would appear that Omo has been taking something. The bush that's on fire but not being consumed began to talk to him. I need to know what kind of mushrooms or whatever, right? Come on, y'all don't know y'all, y'all don't judge me. I'm sure you've thought this through if you've read this story. Like, what in the world is going on? A bush that talks. And what does the voice of the Lord say to Moses? And you gotta know Moses is freaked out. He says, hey, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. And I am going to send you back to Pharaoh and you're going to get my people and get the heck out of Dodge. And that's Matthew's paraphrase. Moses' classic response. Moses says in verse 11 of chapter three, who am I, right? Like, who am I? And, and this is total conjecture. And I, and I I often think like, what were these guys thinking when something, okay, burning bush is talking to him. And Moses responds with, who am I? Which is the right response, right? Because Moses, if you'll remember, he was raised in Egypt. He was raised in Egypt and then he just did not like the way things were going. And what did Moses do? He killed a guy with his own hands. Now that's a I was going to say that's a man, but that's not what men should do. Now, that's a scary man, right? If you could just take a guy with your bare hands and you're gone. So what does he do? He flees. And for 40 years, he's minding his own business in the desert. And a burning bush begins to talk to him. And he says, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh. And Moses' response is a response of identity. Who am I that I should be the guy? Do you not know my past? I just, I fled that place because I killed someone. God, can you imagine what they're gonna do to me if I return? Surely he's thinking this thing through. And I love God's response because God doesn't tell him how awesome he is, nor does God respond with how wicked of a past Moses had. What does God say to him? Just look down a few verses. He says, I'll be with you. Isn't that incredible? That God calls someone and he tells them, I'm going to send you. And Moses asked him this question of identity. Who am I that I should be the guy to go? And God says, I'm with you. Notice what God does not say in the scripture. God does not say, well, you know what? You did have a pretty crappy past. So I don't know what I'm thinking. Let me just go freak somebody else out and engulf a bush and talk to them. Sorry, Mo, you had the wrong guy, my bad. Yeah, you wicked, vile, disgusting person. Nor does God look to Moses's kind of accomplishments, right? Oh, you, funny you ask Moses, right? Like, you know the culture. That's a good point for you. 
You know their language. You know all there is about. So I, why, have, why not would I use you, Moses? You're an incredible, awesome guy. No, God doesn't do that. Which, by the way, should kind of, that should allow us to breathe a little bit in this place. That God would choose you despite you. So, so no matter like what your past is, God's not like wringing his hands, like going in the holy huddle with the triune God going, what, did, what were we thinking using that guy? Nor was he looking at all of your accolades and going, yeah, you know what? He is a spectacular individual. This should allow us to breathe. You know why? Because God does not need superhumans to accomplish his will. He can use the dirty jokers that's been wandering in a wilderness for 40 years who ran away from their past. And so Moses, he asks the question, okay, you'll be with me. I'm all right with that. Bush still talking to me. Who are you? Who are you? And this is where God releases a part of his identity. Now, if you're in Egypt in the ancient world, polytheism was a huge thing. Pantheism, a worship of multi-gods where there are gods everywhere, the sun god, the sand god, every, everything you could imagine, there's a god for it. So for God to give him his name was a big thing because they were gonna ask, who's sending you? And so God gives him this powerful phrase that's gonna be so critical for our conversation today. He says, I am that I am. Now, this is important because when God tells him, tell them I am who I am, this, the God who keeps his covenant uh, has come and I'll be remembered from future generations by my name that I am, that I am. Now, I'm, again, my name is Matthew Thrower. If we haven't met, nice to meet you. I am a pastor, I am a husband, I am a dad, I am a lot of other things. If I were to tell you that if you can define me, you would probably put some other things in there if you know me. But God doesn't do this. God doesn't say, um, I am blank, so that we can kind of define him, right? Isn't that what our culture wants to do? Even as, us as believers, we want to define God. Now, fortunately, we have the scriptures that allows us to understand the character of God and who he is. But God doesn't allow you to define him because God has already defined himself. So he doesn't say, I am, insert whatever your belief is. He says, I am that I am. Now this gets really crazy, but just allow me to kind of nerd out a little bit. When, when Hebrew scholars would try to translate, I am that I am, they get these letters and they connect them as this name, Yahweh. So God gives him his name. I'm Yahweh, Yahweh. I am self-existent. I need no one. I am from eternity's past. I am self-existent. I have been here from all beginning of time. I was before beginning of time. And I will be here for the rest of time. So you tell them that I am I was and I will be. A good translation of this would be, 
If you were from the South, you would say it like this, I be who I be. Or, I, or how we'd say it in Utah, I will be who I will be. And you don't get to define who I will be. And Moses is like, oh, okay, great. So what happens from there? The story of scripture, the story of redemption begins to move a little quickly from there. Moses goes back and he demands Pharaoh to let the people go. Eventually they are freed from the tyrannical hand of the oppressive Pharaoh. They go on a 40 year journey. They end up in the promised land and they begin to cultivate the land. Of course, if you know Israel, it wasn't good enough as if things are never good enough for them. Doesn't sound like anyone you may know, right? Funny how things never really change, do they? So they get judges, then they get kings because they're complaining, right? Well, they have a king. Why can't we have a king? And so God's like, okay, I'll give you Saul. Saul, I better call Saul, right? No, you shouldn't, okay? And then things get pretty good. The, the Davidic kingdom reign, things go pretty good. And Solomon, and then again, things just don't go well with the children of Israel. And they go really south with the Assyrians coming in from the Northern Empire and they take over. And then calls for, from Nehemiah, from Ezra, for the governors to release them. And they do, but then they find themselves again in captivity and then insert the prophets who come in and they tell the nation of Israel, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. In fact, we find ourselves at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, the very last chapter, with the prophet saying that the king is coming. The king the great day of Yahweh is here. And what do we do? We flip the page and we find ourselves in the New Testament, but that's not what happens, right? Remember what happened between Joseph and Moses? 400 years. And from Malachi to the gospel, we again get 400 years of silence. And then this little guy comes up from Nazareth and they ask, well, could anything good come from Nazareth? And actually it could. And Jesus comes into the scene. Could he be the one that they prophesied about? Could he be the redeemer? Could he be the one that was mentioned in the Abrahamic covenant? Is he the guy that's gonna redeem and bring back all things back together. Could this be the guy? Now, Jesus is a really interesting guy. Now, it do, now if, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, or if you're a part of another religion, we can all agree that even secular writings would agree that there was this guy that really shook things up in the first century, and his name was Yeshua, Jesus. So we could all agree that there's a Jesus But Jesus is particularly very interesting because he did things that no other person has ever done. Upon Jesus's death and resurrection, the impact of this Messiah has been felt for going on 2000 years. Now, if you were to ask who some of these guys were, and I've got a couple guys, I'm gonna see if you know who they are. Jerry, would you show the first guy on there? Do you know, who is this guy? Steve Jobs, 
Very good. Very good. Who's the second guy here? Oh, come on now. Johnny Cash, if he's not on your playlist, your playlists aren't doing it right. What about this guy right here? Oh, that was a tricky one. Yeah, Bob Hope. And just a few years ago, we had these three. And now we have no jobs, no cash, no hope. I've been waiting. Oh, stop it. That was a lame dad joke, okay? But that was a good dad joke. I've been practicing that for weeks. And the minute these guys died, can we agree that their impact began to die? Yeah? I mean, unless you're a nerd with Apple products. I mean, you, you probably ask, like, I don't know if Steve Jobs would do it like this, you know? Or unless you're like a musical nerd and you're like, well, how would Johnny Cash do it? I don't know what you'd say about Bob Hope. I don't really know much about that guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm too young to remember him. But Jesus, though, is a different. Upon his ascension to the right hand of the Father, did his impact begin to die? No, Jesus really just blew up culture with a new way of doing things the kingdom way of doing things. In fact, unearthed documents, Jesus would counter the way of the Greco-Roman world. Cicero um, would say that rank must be preserved, but what does the word of God say that Jesus shaped? This new kingdom idea says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female in the kingdom. We are all one in Christ. Jesus gives us a new way of equality, a new way to do culture. And I know it's a hot word in our culture today, but Jesus has already given us the solution for that. The way of children, um, Seneca, a Roman philosopher said that we drown every child who at birth are weak. What does Jesus say in Matthew 19, 14? Let all the children come unto me. The way that women were viewed in culture, there was a Roman letter that was unearthed and it said, if you are delivered of a child, if it is a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, just discard it. And in Luke's gospel 23, 27, and many men and women followed Jesus. Do you think Jesus was looking at those women like, who do you think you are? Now, see, the way of the kingdom of God was turning culture upside down. Just think about how Jesus introduced the idea of compassion. Who were the first group of people that started hospitals and orphanages? The church. Jesus's impact did not begin to die or fizzle out. No, it just began to erupt into such a, miraculous, powerful movement. And how could that happen? Only if Jesus's claim of deity was correct. In, in John's gospel in chapter eight, Jesus is going to assert and make the most 
assertive claim of his deity and who he really is. And I know that was a really long introduction to get us here, but I just want our minds to be wrapped around who Jesus says he is. Now there's this passage, I told you to turn to John 8, where they're really at this argument. Jesus is like arguing with a group of Jews and some religious people. And if you don't believe this is our argument, I'm going to prove it to you. In fact, I would have loved to be the guy that was kind of like on the, uh, like on the outskirts, be like, mm-hmm, mm, he told you, right? That's what kind of argument is they're having. And it's, a, it's a pretty cool thing that's, that's going on here. And these, Jesus in the, in the context, Jesus had just told them, if you want to be a disciple of me, then abide by my word. And the result of abiding in my word is freedom. And this just jostles with these Jews. I mean, these guys are like, wait a minute. You're telling me that I have to abide in you to find freedom? My daddy is Abraham. Like I'm a descendant of Abraham. I've got all the freedom that I need wrapped in my identity with Abraham. And Jesus is like, mm, I don't think so. That's fine that you can look at your accolades and think that you're something special, that you were born in a child of Abraham. But the only way to the Father is abiding in me. The only way to find freedom from sin is abiding in Christ Jesus. And he's saying that if you're not connected to me, then you are connected to someone else. So look at verse 39. Because Jesus, I, I'm telling you, this is a really hostile moment and I, I wish we could just wrap our minds around it. And so they, these Jews said in verse 39, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the work of Abraham, that, the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And so they said to him, watch this now. You were not born of sexual immorality or, or we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God, uh, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You, this is Jesus saying, you are of your father, the devil. Oh, snap. Like all the junior high kids in that audience were like, mm, talking about your mama now, right? And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out to his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? 
Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. I cannot overestimate the bombs that are being thrown back and forth between Jesus and these Jewish people. He's like, you think you're doing good with good intentions, with all of your accolades, and you think you're related to Abraham, and you think you are, you are on to something just because of your identity that is wrapped around Abraham, but you're not. And look how they respond. At least we're not half-breeds. At least we know who our dad is. You hear this? They're looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are a bastard child. You do not even know who your father is. Like, (gasps) right? I mean, it's getting really, really tense, but Jesus answers so gracefully to them because the person they're really related to is the devil. And let's see how this transpires in 48. So the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Mm -hmm. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Watch what happens now. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered them, if I glory myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do not know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So that you said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've, not, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, now catch this, truly, 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 I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up the stones at him, but Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple. This is a smear campaign going between the Jews and Jesus, you're a half-breed. Well, you're the devil. Well, you're the half-breed. Well, you're a liar. (laughs) It does kind of sound like this junior high argument going on. And it's super tense. And so here's Jesus making this assertive claim. Notice he describes Abraham as before Abraham. And he uses the present tense or the present tense verb, am, to describe himself. The Pharisees' attempt to stone him proves they understood who Jesus was claiming he was. And so the God who is speaking in a bush 
that told Moses, I am that I am, is telling these same jokers, I am that I am. In Greek, ego ami, which is that same literal translation of Yahweh. This is significant because they were ready to kill him because of this audacious criminal offense that Jesus just made. And either Jesus is, and here's what I'd suggest, or he's absolutely crazy. And those are the two options we have to reconcile with Jesus, that either he is God and he says, and he's acclaiming out to be the I am, or he's just bananas. And we need to go along with what his brothers and sisters said to him back in the book of Mark, where Jesus is just crazy. We need to go ahead and lock him up. So there's two options on the table. But Jesus' claim of the I am, the one who is speaking in the burning bush, here he is. In the Bible, the uh, fire is often referenced by judgment of God. Isn't that interesting? Because sometimes when we pray, oh God, send your fire. Do you realize what you're praying? (laughs) Just can send the rain. You want God to send the fire? Um, Okay. I need you to move out of the state and get far away from me because I don't want to participate in that. But fire is oftentimes, it's referenced in the old, particularly every time in the New Testament as the judgment of God. And so here we have in Exodus chapter three, a bush, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And Jesus appears to him in this thorny bush that was on fire, but not consumed. We know that Jesus was made sin, right, for us and bore our sins on the cross and was not destroyed. Jesus is referenced as the burnt offering, referring to his crucifixion in Psalm twenty-two, fourteen. says, my heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Jesus' heart has burned and melted like wax on the cross. And when Jesus' side was pierced on the cross, blood flowed out. In Revelation 1.15, John sees Jesus and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His feet that touched the ground, which was cursed, and produced thorns were burnished like bronze in a furnace. And then when Jesus goes on in Revelation 1, 17, he says, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus was burned, but he was not destroyed. I died and yet I live forevermore. You see the symbolism of this Bush was more than just thinking that Moses was on some kind of hallucinogen. Jesus purposely used a bush that was on fire but could not be consumed as a prophetic vision for Moses that one day this guy speaking to you in this bush, the great I am, the I am that I am will be on fire but will not be 
consumed will shine like a light in the darkness as the bush did. And as we read in John chapter one, that in him was the light and the life of God. And the light could not take it. So we get this idea of Jesus making this claim of who he is, that he is the man who was speaking in the bush and who was on fire on the cross, but was not consumed and who bore our sins and took the weight of the world on himself, that we might one day believe in this great I am. I'm not telling you who Jesus is. Jesus just told you who he was and is and is to come. That he is the I am that I am, and he is Yahweh, and he is to be praised this identity of Jesus reveals to us who we are. You think back, back in Moses, when Moses asked, well, who am I? And I think that's the question we can ask ourselves this morning. Who are we? Isn't that the question of life, the meaning or the question that we ask ourselves in culture? There's an identity crisis going on in our culture. And we always ask, well, who are we really? And we look to culture to define us or we look to someone else to define us. But the answer isn't in who you are. The answer is right here in who Jesus says that he is. Your identity is not shaped on your past or your current situation or your future. Your identity is shaped on who Jesus Christ is. That despite your past, despite who you are and who culture says you are, who who your mama says you are or whoever says you are, If you are a child of God, God has given you your identity. And may we seek after that. And and this is why this is so important. You'll never grasp who you are until you grasp who Jesus is. That's why this is so important. And Jesus is so many things to so many people. And there are so many variations of Jesus, but you've got to get the right one, that he is the I am that I am. And so may we seek after him and all that he has done and all that he is doing and all that he will do. The I am has come to redeem. And we have this message and we are to take it and herald it out into the world. I'm convinced that we need more of this and we need more Jesus, right? Look at everything that's happening in our world and you gotta say, Jesus, we need you now, right? We saw the collapse of a government in Afghanistan where terrorists take over, where, where my newsfeed was, was blowing up with other pastors who are urging us to... To, to plead for God to move and intervene in the missionaries that were left behind in Afghanistan and who would say, and I quote, we're hiding our families so that the Taliban doesn't find us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm watching this, all of the chaos in our world erupt and, I'm, and I think, man, God, you're up to something, but I also know that the world needs you, Jesus, right now. And we have that answer. So what are we going to do about it? 
Let's pray.